All right, Revelation chapter 15. Let's go ahead and pray once again. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. And I ask God that the Word of God would speak to the people of God through the Spirit of God that we may live for God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. And even as we're going through this, these prophecies, God, we are moved in our hearts in what's coming, Lord. And may we be moved to come to you, to change our lives, to live for you, to share your light more than ever before. So I ask God for your anointing, and I pray that, that every one of us here this morning will receive a word from you as we learn what you have given us here today in this passage. So anoint this time by your Holy Spirit, and I ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen, amen. You know, it was interesting to read. I, I came across this article where uh, it was at the end of last month, and the Marine Attack Squadron number 203 conducted what I thought this was interesting, what they called the sundown ceremony. It was a sundown ceremony. What's, what was happening is after 40 years of service, an era was ending there as the AV-88 88 Harrier fighter jet was being decommissioned and being replaced. And some of you guys who follow this know there's a new jet out there, the F-35B Lightning II uh, stealth fighter. So there's a, a new technology, new jet coming in, and so the old one was being decommissioned. And, and so this Marine Corps air station at Cherry Point in North Carolina held a special ceremony called the Sundown Ceremony. I just thought that was an interesting way to call that, sundown. Well, it sparked my mind in the fact that in our study today and what we're going to see, we sort of come to this sundown ceremony. Time has come for the end of the world as we know it, for the last judgment of God to be poured out on the world before the return of Jesus. And, and that's where we're at in our study in the book of Revelation. And so this ceremony, we're going to see a ceremony in heaven in our passage. And I called our, the title, our message today, is the ceremony for the final judgment. The ceremony for the final judgment. That's our title. And we're going to be studying Revelation chapter 15. All eight verses this morning. I know we've been going little by little in the other chapters, but we're going take this as a set this morning and so we're going to see three things and this is our outline for the ceremony for the final judgment number one the arrival of the end number two the anthem to honor god and number three the angels are presented so that's what we will be covering that's the idea in our passage this morning and so let's begin here in this ceremony for the final judgment Outline number one, number one, the arrival of the end, the arrival of the end. Now, in this section, we are going to cover verses one and two, but let's begin with verse one this morning. Take a look with me here. It says in Revelation chapter 15, verse one, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So we'll stop right here. Now we begin here with John writing with what he saw next. That's why he says, then, then, right? What did we see uh, back in chapter 14 in our last message last week? We saw this vision of Jesus holding that sharp sickle, right? 
to, it was a symbol of bringing in the grain harvest of judgment. And then after that, we saw another angel, a couple other angels, but the, the last angel we saw was another angel with a sickle, and he was to bring in the harvest of grapes to be thrown into the wine press of judgment as we're coming into this final judgment here. And we saw that at the end of chapter 14. And then John now in chapter 15 says, then after all that, I saw another sign. Now, it's interesting he uses this word sign here. The first time we saw back in chapter 12 in verse 1, when John saw this sign, this woman, right? And it symbolized Israel. And we got to study uh, this overview God gave us of, of Israel and Satan and the spiritual battles and all going on and, and how Satan was trying to get after the Messiah and kill the Messiah and all that. So we saw that. Well, the second time he used that word sign, the second sign was in Revelation 12:3, where John was introduced to the dragon. And so the dragon, you remember, is who? Satan, right? And throughout that chapter, we learn about Satan, how he got super angry because he was cast out of heaven at this time in the tribulation, at the midpoint of the tribulation, and then he just turned his guns on the world and especially on believers. So that was the second sign. The first was Israel, the woman. Second was the dragon, Satan. But now this third sign, John, John sees a ceremony, a sign in heaven. And so just get that into your mind as we get into this passage. This is like the ceremony going on, this sundown ceremony. So John sees the ceremony in heaven. And he's like, wow, this is just amazing here. And what I am seeing, where, what God is revealing to me prophetically. And so what does he see? He sees seven angels with seven plagues. So here in verse 1, he sees next that these seven angels are there. And these seven angels, I've been introducing to them little by little as we, we've been going through. Because from about chapter 11, where the seventh trumpet was blown, we were in this pause. And God was giving us an overview of spiritual warfare, giving you an overview of Satan's plan going on, an overview of the Antichrist we learn about, the false prophet, the mark, all of that, right? We've been learning all of that and even getting into chapter 14, what's going to happen at the end with the 144,000. Then we're moved into what I mentioned, what we saw last week. So, so now we see the seven angels in this ceremony and they have the plagues, seven plagues, each one of them, they're in their hands, these plagues. Now, the word plague here in the original language actually means to, like, strike, to give a blow. Or it also means calamity. So these angels, in other words, have the power and authority from God to bring the judgments of God to the world, to the earth. So that's the idea. These guys appear now in this ceremony. Here's the seven angels, and they're ready. They're ready to go uh, with the Lord, uh, giving them that power and authority. And then we read in verse 1 here, it says, Which are the last? These calamities, these judgments are the last. These are the final judgments that are going to fall upon the world. For with them the wrath of God, the judgment of God, is finished. It's power. It's done. It's come to completion. Now, in our studies, in the book of Revelation, we've seen right way back in chapter 6, the seven seals. That was the first, first set coming in, right? Then out of the seventh seal came the seven 
trumpets. And, and, and we looked at all of that. I think it was back in chapter 8 or so. Yeah? And so out of the seven trumpet now comes the third set of judgments, and this is the seven bowls. And so we're right there. The arrival of the time has come. And so there's a special ceremony putting forth for these judgments, the final ones, because after that, remember, Jesus returns. So after that, everything's completed, and Jesus will come and set up the new earth or, or the millennial time there. So what John sees marks the arrival of the end with this ceremony. And so here's the first thing I want you guys to see. The ceremony opens with the seven angels tasked to bring judgment upon the sinful world. That's why the judgment is coming. It's for the sin and the wickedness in, in the world, the evil and all that is going on. The ceremony opens with the seven angels tasked to bring judgment upon the sinful world. I was thinking about in Zephaniah chapter 1 uh, from verse 15 through 17. It's a little book there in the Old Testament toward the end. I was, I was thinking about having guys turn there, but I thought, no one's going to find it. It's so small. No, uh, but we all have our phones now. It's like click, click. But anyway, let me read it to you. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 15, it says, A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And then verse 16 says, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And then look at 17, verse 17, Zephaniah 1 says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind. Because why? Why is this judgment falling? What well, says? Because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. So the world, at this moment, at the end here of the time of the tribulation, remember we we're at the midpoint, we're getting into the end of the tribulation. The world comes to an end in judgment because of their sin against the Lord God. And we've been ramping up to this. We, we've had this thought in our mind even in the past few weeks in our studies here in Revelation. So here it is. The seven angels appear to bring this judgment upon a sinful world. Let's go on to verse 2 now. Verse 2 says, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. So we'll stop there. This finishes our section. But let's get into verse 2. Next, John sees this in this ceremony, what looked like a sea of glass. Now, we saw that in chapter 4, verse 6, way back then. And there was this like crystal platform around the throne of God. And that's what we saw. That's what was described back then. So we're, we're back here. We're, we're seeing this platform, this stage, so to speak. But this, this sea of glass, this crystal platform, it says here, John sees that it's mingled with fire. And really, that's a hint to what this ceremony is all about. That these last judgments are about to be poured out. It's the end of the world, basically. And so this ceremony is about that last judgment coming out. So the fire's hinting about what is coming. And then we see in verse 2 that on that stage, on that crystal sea platform, it says also those who had conquered 
the beast. You remember, who's the beast? The Antichrist, right? We were introduced to him back in chapter 13. He was called the beast because he's ferocious. He's vicious, yeah? He appears to the world like, ah, I'm I'm good at first, but no. Then he, he really gets vicious in the fact really toward Christians, toward believers, toward those who've come to be saved uh, after the rapture, in, going into the tribulation, where we call tribulation saints. So they had conquered the beast. They were able to sur- survive, in a sense, in the sense that they did not give their allegiance to the beast. Now, John mentions here, they had conquered the beast and its image. Remember the image, that, that statue? I think it might be a giant statue, perhaps maybe on top of the, 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 the mount, the temple mount there, where he, the Antichrist requires the whole world to bow down and worship the Antichrist and basically give a, allegiance to him and basically uh, give glory to Satan who's empowering him. And, and basically it turns into Satan worship, which we literally saw that's what the Bible says, that the world worships Satan. So this image is set up of, of him. And also, it says, the number of its name. And we know what that is, right? The mark that we studied about at the end of verse 13, that the the beast, the Antichrist, requires the whole world to take this mark, and they would not be able to buy or sell without it. And we see that, we learned that that was really about giving allegiance to Satan and the Antichrist, to, to, to giving their like life over, right? to the Antichrist. It was all that because in that in that action by taking the mark, we read in the past studies that that meant they can't enter into heaven. So that means rather than giving their life to Christ, to Jesus, they give their life, they give their allegiance to Satan and the Antichrist. But these tribulation saints, those on the platform right now that are standing, the word in the ESV says beside, but it's really talking about on that sea, on that platform. They're coming out here on the stage, basically, in this ceremony. These guys had conquered the Antichrist by not giving into all those things. Not bowing down to the statue. Not, not, not worshiping the Antichrist or Satan. Not taking the mark. Even though they couldn't buy or sell, they couldn't survive, right? They conquered in that they did not give in to any of that. They conquered when the Antichrist couldn't get his way with them. They were conquerors when they died. Really. Because look, they're in heaven now. They're just being martyred and killed, right? These guys are killed for their faith. They're in heaven now, and Antichrist can't touch them, and Antichrist didn't get them to turn on their Jesus. And so we see at the end of verse 2 that with harps of God in their hands. In their hands were the harps. Remember, we saw that um, a couple of weeks back, and we saw that uh, these are really electric guitars, you know, with amps and everything, right? Harps, yeah, no. I'm a guitar, so, you know, I, that's what I think right away. But remember, we learn whenever you, most of the time in the Bible and Old Testament, when you see harps and that's mentioned, it's, it's in a time of joy, and it's in a time of praise. So these guys now, they have, they have harps. They're, they're ready to praise God. They're with joy. You know why? Because in this ceremony, right, for the final judgment, finally, 
Finally, the time has come for God to avenge their deaths, their persecution. So they are ready. They're praising God. They're filled with joy. Here comes the end. Because in this final judgment, God brings justice. God brings justice to them. Remember, Satan and the Antichrist, they, they put out this campaign, we learn, right? Back in chapter 13, to stamp out Christianity, to finally get rid of believers in the world as Satan has finally come to that place where he always wanted to be worshipped, right? Isaiah 14, that, that was his fall, right? He wanted to be like the Most High, and now in this point of the tribulation, it's all coming to pass. But the only guys that are in the way is the Christians, is the tribulation saints, is those believers, and also the, the, the Jewish believers that are being protected by God. And knowing, right, that the Christians will not renounce Jesus, they put out that mark, require that worship. They unite the world in satanic worship, and they justify the killing of Christians. But time has come to end all this evil of Satan and bring him and the Antichrist and the world to justice. And so to see these seven angels and the martyred angels, I mean the martyred saints here, is significant. To see the seven and the martyred saints all on this platform, this ceremony, it's significant because judgment is coming for the sin of the world and also judgment comes for the persecution and martyr of saints. So here's the second thing I want you to see. The arrival of the end is now here and the ceremony also opens with the tribulation saints who will finally be avenged for their deaths. So this, pretend like we're, well, we will be one day, <laughs> be an audience there in this ceremony. And this is what's coming forth here. This is what's happening here. The ceremony, it also opens, not just the seven angels, but the tribulation saints, they're ready. They're finally going to be avenged. Wasn't that their prayer way back, right? I think it was in chapter 4, chapter 6, that, Lord, when are you going to avenge us? When are you going to avenge us? And we saw we saw that, and now this is coming to pass. So they are there on the stage, main players of this ceremony. You know, I heard of one preacher say that when he is unjustly wronged for his faith, you know, he, he doesn't retaliate. But he just says, I'm not going to get even. I'm going to tell God on you. Well, that's the thing, right? It really is not our job to retaliate, right? To avenge ourselves. It's, it's really God's job, right? And, and we know that. Like, take a, take a moment, turn to the left to Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans 12, verse 19. Romans 12, verse 19. Matter of fact, take a look at uh, verse 18 first. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then verse 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So understand whether it's sooner or later or during this time in the tribulation, God will avenge evil, sin, and 
unjust actions. He will. He'll bring justice here. It's not our job to be that avenger, but to trust God that he will take care of those things. I remember uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, who founded the Calvary Chapels, uh, uh, I remember uh, hearing him once say, you know, who's going to do a better job, you or God? You know, I thought, well, that's a good point, yeah. It's not our job. Our job is to live live peaceably with all men. God's job is to bring that vengeance in his time, in his will. You know what happens when, when we try to be avenger, right? When we try to be that avenger we, 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 and retaliate for those things, you know, wrong things done to you. I know me. I only make it worse, right? My flesh comes out and I say things I shouldn't say and, and I do things I shouldn't do. I only make it worse. We're not good at being avengers, but you know who is? God is. God is. Our job is really what? Did Jesus say, love your enemies? Paul says that later in this passage we saw in Romans 12. Our job is to live peaceably with all men as much as we can. Let God take care of uh, of the avenging and the vengeance and all that. And I know it's hard, but we have to trust God that he will. And if anything, you know, I'm I'm glad that, that God didn't take vengeance on me for what I did to someone, right? And in his mercy and grace, he forgave me, he, he cleansed me, and he helped me overcome those things I do. And he can do that for you. And so I think about who am I to demand justice? Yeah? Who am I to, to really take vengeance when oh, I'm just as bad in these other areas? So perhaps when we love in return for that hurt, when we, we don't avenge ourselves uh, you know, in return for what someone unjustly did for you, perhaps it's God through us giving them grace and mercy, being patient with them, trying to win them over to Him because they need help. We as believers, as Christians in this world, more than ever, we need to trust God that He will take care of it. That we need to trust God that let Him do it. Whether it comes right away, whether it, whether it comes later or even way later in the time of the tribulation years, God will for sure bring justice. And that's what we see here. That's what is about to happen. That's what we've been seeing in our studies in the book of Revelation. So remember this. Next time you're like, I want to, oh yeah, you know, right? Remember, Revelation 15, there's actually a ceremony for the final judgment. So we see here with the beginning of this ceremony, the arrival of the end has come. Let's go to number two now. The anthem to honor God. The anthem to honor God. Now, we cover verses three and four in this section, so let's take a look at those verses. Verse 3, Revelation 15 says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of nations. Verse 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. And then all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So we'll stop here in this section. Now, standing on this stage, in the middle of this ceremony, 
are the tribulation saints with their harps in hand. And they start singing. And I think of it, of this praise song as we read it. I think of it not just a praise song, but this anthem of declaration, really, of, of who God is. And at this moment, yeah, proclaiming and praising with joy, acknowledging who God is. So they start here in verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And we know, we know Moses, right? The prophet, the servant of God who led Israel out of Egypt. Now this reverse refers to a song that was sang in Exodus 15 when Israel were, came out of Egypt and they celebrated that deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. And they celebrated how God defeated Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. Remember, they part, God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites went through. The Pharaoh's army followed behind, and the sea went and swallowed them up. And so Exodus 15 is, is a song, a celebration, joy, how God delivered them, how God defeated the Egyptian army. So see what a, what a moment that was Back then, it's a moment here to remember. The tribulation saints sang, sing this song of Moses in remembrance of what God has done in the past. And it really relates to what God is now doing here at this time, in this moment. And so it also says in verse 3, they sing the song of the Lamb. Now, uh, most commentators and, and pastors, they, they refer this to the new song that was sung in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 and 14. We, we went through that back then. And that really commemorated uh, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It was, it was honoring, worthy is the Lamb, right? They were singing there at that moment of, of what He's done. So I, I feel like the tribulations are singing the song of Moses. They remember that incredible act of God back then. And now they give honor to Jesus, the tribulation saints sing the song of the Lamb and giving glory to Jesus Christ who saved them. The tribulation saints who, who, who died for their sins, who didn't believe before the rapture and before the tri tribulation came, but believed after. And by Jesus' grace and mercy still reached out and saved people, even though uh, they, they, they rejected Jesus all the way to that point. And so they're worshiping Jesus who saved them. So... Here's this anthem that honors God. And the first thing I want you to see is the ceremony goes on with the tribulation saints singing to give glory to what God has done, what Jesus has done. So they start off with this song in this way. I was thinking about this. The song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. Well, the song of the Lamb now is, is, sung, is being sang at the Crystal Sea. The song of Moses was a song of triumph over Egypt. The song of the Lamb was a song of triumph over sin and death through that sacrifice of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and rising again. The song of Moses told how God brought his people out of Egypt, delivered them. And the song of the Lamb tells how God brings his people out of the world when they die and go to heaven into eternity to live with God. The song of Moses was the first song in Scripture, and the song of the Lamb is here in the last moments of the world, as we know it. So, the tribulation saints, they come out, 
They have their harps. They're singing the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. But then they add some more lines now to that last song. And they extend that song to praise God, His power, the Lord, all in light now of His coming judgment. Now I'm going to bring up five things that the song goes on to glorify God. And this is this anthem. Yeah, to glorify God. This this is this anthem, the tribulation saints, they acknowledge about God. And first of all, number one, they acknowledge the Lord is powerful in his words. The the Lord works, sorry, the Lord is powerful in his works. Look at verse three once again in the middle. It says here, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Great and amazing is the work of God, the things that he does. He, for he's the Lord God Almighty. That, that word really speaks of God's omnipotence, yeah? That God is all-powerful. So the Lord is powerful in his works. And right at this moment, think about this. It's really saying, you know what? Satan, the Antichrist, right? He will not win here, right? I, I remember I speculated that Satan's telling the world, hey, we, we can get Jesus. God is no good. I mean, the world knows the judgments are from God, and so Satan is playing on that, right? During this time, saying, nah, I'm more powerful. And that's why the world turns and fights Jesus at Armageddon at the end. But here in the song, it declares that the Lord is powerful in his work. Satan cannot and will not win here. God is victorious in the end. Then number two, the song talks about how the Lord is righteous in all his ways. So we see here in verse 3, just and true are your ways. God cannot do any wrong. He will do exactly what he says. He'll do what is right and true. God cannot do injustice. Only what is just. That's his character. He cannot do any wrong. So just and true is his way. Ways and God brings true justice in his judgments against Satan and the world. What he's doing, bringing the judgment, it's just and true. Psalm 19:9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the Lord is powerful in his works, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. And then, number three, the Lord is sovereign over all things. End of verse 3. The song goes on and there's a verse that they sing out, O King of the Nations. In other words, God is the sovereign Lord. He's the king over the world, over all the nations. No one, no sovereign nation in the world is above the Lord Jesus. The Lord is king. The Lord is uh, the God of all. He's sovereign. And the armies of the world that come to fight him when we see in Revelation 19, they cannot win. The nations cannot. He is the king. And then number four, the Lord is absolutely holy. Look at verse four. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Now in verse 4, when when they sing, who will not fear? It's like, who cannot reverence God? That's what they're saying. Who cannot? Yeah. And then, uh, and and who who, who will not hear? Who will not glorify your name? In In other words, who cannot give him glory? 
everyone in the whole world is going to bow down to the Lord God, to Jesus, the King, to Jesus Christ. Everyone who all will bow down to the Lord. And why is that? Well, it says, for you alone are holy. God is the only one who is absolutely holy. Holy actually means literally set apart. Like there's no one like him. There no one you know, can be compared to him at all. He's holy. He's set apart. You know, all creation is going to bow down to him. And God in his essence is totally pure in holiness. You know, I was thinking about, you ever like have times when we're worshiping God or we're in prayer and, and suddenly you feel like, like, like the presence of God is right here with you. Ever felt that in worship? It, 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 it can be such a wonderful thing. I know many times when I'm worshiping and even when I'm playing or whatever, I just feel the presence of God and all of a sudden all my problems and all the trials just seem so far away because we're just with God. I just want to be with God. But I'll tell you, if, if you fail God, if, if you're in some sin, and all of a sudden the presence of God comes upon you. What do you feel? Have you felt that? Oh, you feel shame. You're, you're like convicted, yeah? You're, you're feeling so guilty and full of regret. And you, it's like I just fall on my face like, oh, Lord, I can't be around your presence. You know, it's like Isaiah, right, in chapter 6. He goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. When he was brought into this, this vision of the, the presence of God in God's throne room, and, and the angel saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Right? So in the presence of God and his pureness and his essence and how he's so set apart about everything, he's holy and no sin can stay in there. No evil. And, and we get convicted. We're in shame. We cry out for mercy and forgiveness. Right? So this is that thought. God in his essence is totally pure in holiness. And so, you know what? All the world... No matter what they think, no matter their perspective, no matter what they're holding on to, they're going to bow down and worship God, the Holy One. Henry Morris wrote in his commentary, God the Lord is the only true Holy One. And therefore, sooner or later, all must someday fear Him, glorify Him, worship Him. And that's the truth we know, right? Every knee will bow, right? Uh, Philippians 2. Every knee will bow, yeah? And they'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the truth. All right, well, we've seen uh, the Lord is powerful in his works. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. The Lord is sovereign over all things. And number four, the Lord is absolutely holy. Then number five, the last thing, the Lord will rule the kingdom of God. And so the last part of verse 4 says, All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So this really talks about the time of the millennium, right? After Jesus returns in chapter 19, he's going to bring in that that thousand-year reign of Christ, and he's going to be the ruler. And during that time, all peoples, all nations, all countries, they're going to come and acknowledge Jesus as king and worship him as Lord God. 
Everyone's going to know that. Everyone's going to acknowledge that. Everyone's going to receive that. Everyone's just going to be there and give him that glory. For all will see at that time that the Lord did these judgments in righteousness. They were just. They were right. They had to happen. Jesus will rule and bring in a new world of righteousness. I think about that all. Can't wait. Because we understand oh, certain powers yeah, in, in, in our country, in the world. yeah, Certain governments, yeah, certain people even in our governments, they're corrupt, I have to say. Yeah? They're, they, they're doing evil, right? And, and they're power hungry, yeah? or, and they want to be on the stage, and all the, the whatever you know, evil motives they are, we, that's what we, we live under. Not everyone's super bad, but boy, I, I can't wait for this time when Jesus rules in righteousness. And none of this guessing, none of this, oh man, what's going on anymore, right? It's coming. It's coming. But you know what? That's why we pray for our leaders, right? Because they need Jesus just as we, we need him and we needed him and we pray for them. So all this is the anthem, the song to honor God. And the song in this ceremony acknowledges the judgments of God are powerful, righteous. And I know on the screen it says just, but I changed it to holy. Sorry, Shaila. But, <laughs> but holy. This is our Lord God. This is what the song acknowledges. He's more powerful than anything Satan or the world can do. He's righteous in these judgments. And he's holy. He's holy. And everyone's going to bow to that. You know, I was thinking about how many movies and TV shows are, are, are based on, like, corrupt, you know, government leaders or, or things like that, right? Or, or corrupt generals or heads or something. And, and, and we get pulled in, right? We, get, we keep watching the movie because right, we, we want justice done, right? We want it. And, 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 and the writers of the shows, they know that. So there's one hero that will, you know, go against all odds and fight against the injustice and bring that, you know, guy down at the end or that, uh, that you know, group down or whatever it is. And we, we get all into that. I'm like, yeah, 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 get him, you know, kind of thing. But, but once in a while, when the writers of the show or, or movie, when they don't do that, you know, at the end when, wait, 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 it can't end like that. We're like, what? This is junk. This is junk. Oh, I, I can't, what a waste of time. I spent two hours watching this thing, and, and the guy didn't get it. He didn't get justice. This is so wrong. This is so unfair. Aren't we like that? I know I am. <laughs> but we know God will bring that justice. He will. In the end, you know what? Some people don't like it when they come to church and oh, he's just talking about the judgment of God. And I understand this is not like the greatest topic. Yeah, what you learn in church? Oh, God's gonna judge the world and kill the world and everybody. Oh, what a church that is, yeah, kind of thing. But look, if you're here, we're, we're, we're in this place. You know, I just go verse by verse, chapter, chapter. So it's not my fault, all right? No. <laughs> but it's the truth, right? But some people, they don't like, oh, talking about judgment. And, but the reality, it's found right here 
in our Bibles. You know, it, it's not like God, well, I don't want to talk about that because it's not true, you know. It's not like, so, so God's like, no, I have none of that in here. Uh, I'm all love, you know, <laughs> and all that. And he is. He is. God loves us. But there's another part of his character, and that is he is holy. Yeah? He is righteous. He is true. So the reality is that God's judgment is found in the Bible. And if God did not bring justice to sin and evil, he wouldn't be the kind of God that we would really worship and respect. Yeah? He would be like that crooked judge, you know, that, that, that gets payback, you know, to do oh, whatever. Yeah? But no, God does bring justice. And if he doesn't, it goes against his character. He's holy. He's righteous. And so he has to. He must bring the judgment because that's who he is. And he must punish and he must bring to an end the sin in the world, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan and what he's doing. He's not going to, he doesn't want this to go on forever. Yeah. And what we read about, there's an end to all this. And this is where we're coming into in Revelation. But let me remind you again. There is an attribute, another attribute of God, and that is love. So understand this. He loves you. And because he loves you, he desires that you do not get into this judgment. That you do not have judgment be poured upon you, but that you would be saved. So if you're here or, or if you're connected online, you know, that's God's heart. I know we're talking about judgment, but I want to talk about God's love too. Because Jesus Christ came to make a way of escape from that judgment by dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. That's a reality too, is his love. So receive Jesus. Go to Jesus. Go to the cross right now. Because you know what? There will come a time when the world will end in judgment. And we see this here in the ceremony for the final judgment. Let's go to number three in our outline. Number three, the angels are presented. And this is the rest of this chapter. We've seen the arrival of the end, the anthem to honor God. And now number three, the angels are presented. And Verse 5 and 6, first of all, it says here, After that I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. Now let's stop right there. So after the song ends, the next thing John sees, after the tribulation saints, I don't know if they move off stage or sit down or something, but John then is shown the sanctuary. Now the word there is the Greek word naos, which refers to the holiest of holies that was in the earthly temple. Here we're getting a vision of the heavenly temple. It's that inner place of the sanctuary where the ark was and where really the ark represented the presence of God. So where the presence of God this door opens. So in that inner part of the tent of witness, sometimes the tabernacle was called that um, uh, because witness was the ark and all of that. Uh, sometimes, so the tabernacle in the Old Testament was called this because of that ark. 
and the covenant that it represented too. Well, here the doors to the innermost part of the heavenly tabernacle were open, and out came the seven angels with the plagues, with the power and authority to bring the final judgment. So I, I'm not sure if they, they went backstage <laughs> when the tribulation saints were singing, and then now they appear, but, but they're, they're basically being presented in this way, because these are the seven that are going to pour the seven bowls of judgment upon the world. We're going to see in the next chapter. So out came the seven angels with the place of the authority to bring the final judgments. And John notices that they are clothed in pure, bright linen here. Uh, really saying that they're holy and pure. And a golden, uh, golden sashes around their chest. Maybe they... They went from their shoulders and crisscross or something, and there's like these sashes or something like that. And basically the gold represents gold and God, and it represents that, uh, it shows that their task is really from God. So these seven angels represent God in bringing the judgments, and they're holy, pure, white, and the gold of of heaven. They're coming from heaven, coming from God. And then verse 7. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels over golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God, verse 8, and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So at that moment, one of the four cherubim, right, one of the uh, powerful angels we saw way back, I think, was they were introduced in chapter four, where they were they stand right next to God around the throne, ready to do God's bidding there. And so, they, one of them comes out and gives each of the seven angels the seven bowls. And the bowls here, the word is, they're kind of like they're not like deep bowls, you know, like 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 really big bowls where you you mix your cake with or something, but they're more shallow. You know, they're kind of a shallow saucer type of thing. That's what the word says. So, so they're each given these these shallow bowls or bowls, uh, and that bowl contains the seven judgments that are going to be poured out upon the world. The judgments of the, our eternal God who lives forever and ever to be poured out. So. This is this official ceremony when the seven angels received the bowls of judgment. And at that moment, this whole heavenly sanctuary is filled with smoke. And whenever we read that, I picture the Shekinah glory of God. And it reflects His power, the power in these judgments, the power of God. And with that, no one could enter into that area until the bowls were finished. It, it was all just reserved for God to be working through these bowls and what is going to be poured out. So God's holy glory filled the place like smoke. And I think what John is writing is suddenly, at this moment, the heaviness of what's about to happen was felt. Could you imagine that? This is it. This is a last final judgment. This is the worst of them all. And so with the smoke, the Shekinah glory, all this power of God, it's like, everyone could feel it there. This was the ceremony. Here we go. It's like, here we are at this moment. Next is the bowls being poured out in chapter 16. The awesome holiness of God is bringing upon the world this last judgment. Evil will be purged with this. Wickedness cleansed from the world. Jesus returns at the end of this. So the ceremony ends with the angels ready to go and the heavy presence of the mighty God. 
the angels, they are presented with the bowls of judgment. And this is our last point. The ceremony ends with the seven angels having the bowls in hand and God's holy presence going with them. Now, what we read here today in chapter 15, it's not some fairy tale. It's not some some movie. Yeah. It's not a, a, a story that John wrote, you know, for a movie. It's not fiction. It's nonfiction, you guys. This is a prophetic word for the coming future of this world, of those who do not receive Christ, who reject Jesus Christ. And at this moment the world will be caught without any protection from the wrath of God. During a series of tornadoes in Pennsylvania, a David Koska was um, umpiring a Little League baseball game when he saw a black funnel cloud heading toward the field. So he yelled for everyone to take cover, take cover. Then <clears throat> David Koska rushed over to the stands, grabbed his, his little niece, pushed her into a nearby ditch and covered her with his own body. The tornado struck, and when it was over, the little girl looked up, and her uncle was gone. But the uncle took the full brunt of the tornado in her place. That's what Jesus did for us. He took the full brunt of the penalty of our sin, the punishment for our sin, when he sacrificed himself on the cross. But there's a day coming, you guys, when the world will take the full brunt of God's wrath because they rejected Jesus. They're going to feel all that. They're gonna, it's going to be poured upon them. So there is no one, nothing to cover their sins. John MacArthur said this in his commentary. Once the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ because of what he did for sinners. In the future, wrath will be poured out on sinners because of what they did to Jesus Christ. So praise God, you guys, as believers, right? We, we're not under that wrath. That's why the rapture comes and then the tribulation years. We're not under this time of God's judgments. Praise God that, that we're assured heaven, you guys. We, once we come to Christ, we have eternal life. It's not a guess. No, because Christ paid for all of our sins and that's how, you know, no matter what happened, accident, whatever, you know, and you go to heaven, you have interest to that. You will be there. And when all this goes down, it's because we believe and embrace Jesus and His atonement, we're not going to be here when this all comes down. Because he took it upon himself. And that's what's important here. Especially as we move into this time of communion, you guys. We're remembering what Christ did. And, and we're, I'm only here because of Jesus. I would not be here without Christ. It's because of him. Because he saved me. And we won't be here when this final judgment is poured out upon the world. I'll close with this. There's a story of the pioneers who traveled in covered wagons, and they made their way west across the central states to find a new home. We, we know that story, right? Uh, one day, 
they were totally like in, in fear and terrified because they could see in the distance a long line of flames stretching for miles and miles and there was like no way out of this. The prairie fire uh, was burning the dried grass and it was out of control and it was quickly burning and heading toward this group. The leader of the group knew what he needed to be done to save the wagon train so he gave command to set fire to the grass that was right behind them. So they set like a controlled fire and burned the grass behind them. And once that area was burned over, then the whole group, the whole company, moved back to where what they had just burned. And, and it was all black and burned and charred. Well, as the flames roared closer and closer toward them, a little girl in the group cried out, Are you sure we won't be all burned up? And the leader replied, My child, the flames cannot reach us here, for we are standing where the fire has been. I love that. I love that. We stand in Christ and we won't be burned, so to speak, by the judgment. Because Jesus already took it upon himself. So that means, be assured, we will not be under this judgment that we read about. I think we'll only be in the audience and we'll see the ceremony for the final judgment. Let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> this isn't fun things to talk about, God. But we are comforted today by the fact that you love us. And because you love us so much, you made the way for us to be saved from the judgment. And today, God, I am so grateful and I'm thankful. God, I am thankful that you will bring justice to this world and all the wrongs and evil that is that so burdens me sometimes, that grieves me sometimes, grieves us all, Lord. God, you know, you see. We just need to trust you, for your time is coming, and it's coming soon. Lord, I thank you for that. Even though we live in a crazy world right now, with the pandemic and things that are going on in the Middle East, God, thank you that our cornerstone, our foundation is in you. Our hope is in you. You have saved us. You have reached out in love and brought us and made us children of God. And Lord, I thank you that all this that we see in the world means you're coming so soon. Time's running out. That prophecy, Lord, has been fulfilled already, Lord. That, as many say, the next prophetic event on God's calendar is the rapture. And Lord, I just see it right, right around the corner. And with that, God, we give you praise. And as the tribulation saints said, we give you, God, honor and glory. Because you are all powerful. And with that, Lord, we ask that Right now, you would be with us. And as we move into this time of communion, that our minds would be put upon you, Jesus, and the sacrifice you made. And so, Lord, we've come now in worship, in your word, and now we come to glorify you and thank you for what you've done in dying on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.